Jonah chapter 4, let's read uh, all 11 verses, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll jump into our time together. The Bible says in verse number 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Dost thou well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. And God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd, and it withered. And it came to pass, when the sun did rise, that God prepared the imminent east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted, and wished himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? He said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left? And also much cattle. Let's pray. God, we ask this evening that as we come to your word, again, that you would just open our hearts and open our minds to receive the truth that you have preserved for us. God, as we've gone through this book, we have said it's a story worth considering, not just in a historical context and not just in a biblical concept and, and not just because it's a story about a man that lived a long time ago, but God, because within the pages of this story, there are many things that are applicable to us. And God, honestly, if if we look at our own hearts, I think we would see that there are many things about Jonah that are often true about us. And I do pray this evening, God, that, that your spirit would work in our hearts, that we would give our full attention to what's happening in this last chapter that we would understand the, the attitude that Jonah has, that we would understand the conversation that you have with him, God, w- that we would understand your heart towards your people and your heart towards the world. And God, may all of these things draw us to have a better understanding of your mercy and your love and your grace. But also, God, may it cause us to have a better understanding of how you work in the intricacies of our lives to draw us to be more like your son, Jesus. We thank you, God, for this time, and we pray that you'd use it for our good and your glory. Be with kids' ministry downstairs. God, I pray that as they go through their classes, as they sing their songs, as they play their games, God, that you would just use each of those things to shape them 
to encourage their hearts and minds to, to look to the person of Christ. God, I was encouraged again tonight to hear of a, another young lady who has already talked to her parents about being baptized after seeing the service today. And uh, God, we just pray that, that you would continue to grow those <coughs> desires in these kids at such a young age, that they would walk um, after your ways for all the days of their lives. Thank you again for what you're doing in this place. May we not take it for granted. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so the title tonight, if you take notes, is A Disappointing Ending. A Disappointing Ending. As we've said, the title of the series that we gave the book of Jonah was A Story Worth Considering. And I don't know about you, but there have been a lot of things as I've, as I've read these verses over and over again, and as we've talked through them, and as you shared your, your ideas or your thoughts on these verses, and there's been a lot of things that God has pointed out to me, uh, even in my own life, that maybe is not what, they sh- what, what it should be, areas in my life, life that needs to be corrected or, or fixed as I put my focus back on God and the call that He has on my life. And I pray that as God has done that in your life as well, that, that you will listen to those things and that you'll heed those things so that we don't end up like Jonah. This short book is, is full of emotion, isn't it? As we think about the call of God on Jonah's life in the early chapters, you could almost see the, the anxiousness or the anger rise up in Jonah, and he makes a rash decision. And who's ever made a rash decision in here before? How do those typically end? Not very good, right? So he makes a rash decision, and he boards a boat, and he goes to sleep, and he wakes up to a storm and some sailors who were wondering who he was and where he was going and what he was doing. And he understands at that point that God was working in his life to prove a point. And what was the point? That I am God, right? Jonah, you're not God. I am God and I will have my way. And so Jonah then submits to God kind of as he, as he, uh, as the sailors cast lots and, and the lot falls on Jonah. Jonah says, throw me overboard. They throw him overboard. He lands in the, the belly of a fish. And last week we saw him puked out on dry land. And uh, in all of this, God was working in Jonah's life. And I think that's, that's one takeaway for me is that in all things, God is working in my life. We often like to think that God is only working when good things are happening. But God is always working. God is always working in us through His Spirit and through His Word to point us continually in the direction that He wants us to go. And so the end of chapter 3, or in chapter 3, I'm sorry, we see that Jonah then submits to the Lord again. He says, I'll go and do this thing. So he goes to Nineveh. He begins to preach. And as he preaches... We see that the whole city begins to repent. Word spreads to the king, and the king comes off of his throne. He takes off his robe, covers himself in sackcloth and ashes, and he puts forth a decree that that we better listen to the word of this prophet. For who knows if his God will change his heart or change his mind towards us and and repent of the, the doom that is been spoken over us. And so it's full of emotion. It's full of twists and turns. It's, it's full of providence. It's full of foolish choices. And as we think of this story, oftentimes we think that this story centers on a man and a fish. But truthfully, this story centers on an unfailing God who loves to display his bountiful mercy to the world. It's not about a man. It's not about a fish. But it's about God's great mercy towards mankind. Jonah, in chapter 3, experienced every preacher's dream. I'm not going to lie. If, if you got to stand up and preach one message and a whole city repented, 
Shouldn't that be what Jonah desired? And yet his desires in life were so skewed, they, they were so off of where God wanted them to be that when he saw this great act of God's mercy and when he saw these people repent, he was filled with anger. And we're going to see that in this, this next chapter this evening. You see, Jonah, as we said at the beginning of this study, thought he was something special because of his lineage, because of his heritage, because of his background. And the Ninevites, when they heard the message of Jonah, thought they were in big trouble. Jonah had a hardened heart, thinking he was something special, but the Ninevites found themselves humbled before God and experiencing the favor of God when they bowed in humility to the God that Jonah preached of. So Jonah chapter 4 is, is really pretty unfortunate from a human perspective. Chapter 4 is a part of this true story that we've been looking at, and it shows the true and ugly nature of a heart that is not set on God. Jonah was selfish. Jonah was bitter. Jonah was angry. Jonah was even mouthy. And oftentimes, if we're honest, we're like Jonah. So as we go through this chapter tonight, I pray that, that we would be made aware of who we are in the darkest parts of our hearts. I pray that we would see the areas that we're blind to. I pray that we would, we would admit the areas that we struggle in that we would see the sinfulness in us and that we would repent of those things and turn to God and join Him in His work. For if there's anything that we've learned in the book of Jonah, it's this, that God's work is always going to be accomplished. The question is, are we going to be a part of it? Are we going to be a part of it? That's the question we need to ask. Somebody wrote me tonight and said, is there kids ministry this evening? I was not paying attention in uh, announcement time because there was too many cute babies all around. And... Uh, guys got to keep your babies quiet. Just, they make a noise and everyone's like, oh, a baby. And they forget about the word of God. <laughs> Jonah chapter 4. What are some things we can draw out of this chapter this evening? First off, we should never be bitter against God when he gives others what we think they shouldn't have. <laughs> Ever been there? Um, holding a grudge towards God because God isn't working how you think he should be working in somebody else's life. So we we should never be bitter against God when he gives others what we think they shouldn't have. It reminded me the story in Matthew 20 with the workers and the wages where the master asked the question, is your eye evil because my eye is good? Oftentimes we, we get um, upset or jealous or covetous when we see God blessing in the life of another person in ways that, that maybe we desire for ourselves. We should never get better against God. The second thing, we should keep a right view of ourselves when we come into the presence of God. We've said many times that, that God can handle our real and raw emotions, right, when we come to Him. But we never want to come to God with an a, a, accusative tone, right? Blaming Him or, or um, saying that He should have done things differently. Still, God can handle those things. But we still shouldn't go that way. Right? We should still come before his presence with, with a, a, a reverence and an awe about us as we think about who we're talking to. The third thing, God is gracious to us with a gourd. I don't know what your gourd is, but God is gracious to us with a gourd even when we do not deserve it. How many of you would say that God has poured out a blessing in your life even when you ha had a season of bitterness that you were experiencing or a season of doubt? <coughs> Let me just give you a hint. If you're breathing, God has been gracious to you with a gourd, right? 
He's given you what you don't deserve even in those times. The fourth thing, God does remove things from our lives at times to teach us valuable lessons. And often we only like to think of God as the giver of good gifts, but sometimes the gift God gives is in actually taking something away so that we can gain a proper perspective again of who's in control. Um, It would be pretty sad if Christmas morning you, you gave your kids all these gifts and then five minutes after they opened them, you began taking them away, right? I'm not saying that's, that's how we should parent, but God parents perfectly. And when he does take things from our lives, it is always for a good reason. And then the, the final thing that we can draw from this is that God has a compassionate heart. And through all of this, we've seen his compassion towards Jonah. We've seen his compassion towards the Ninevites. And hopefully, in some ways, we've seen his compassion in these things even towards us. So I hope this chapter will be helpful to us as we navigate the waywardness of our own hearts in relationship to the true and steadfast God. The first thing, in verse number one, it says, It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. If you're here last week or if you're familiar with the story of Jonah, you understand what is being referenced here. But if you're not sure, we can just look at verse number 10 in chapter 3 where it says this, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said and that, that he would do unto them, and he did it not. And so Jonah was preaching this message of doom, saying, in, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. In 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And what was Jonah's heart? What was his hope in his heart? That in 40 days, Nineveh was going to be overthrown. That there was a, honestly a sick and twisted joy inside Jonah's mind as he preached this message, thinking, man, God is going to destroy these people. How do we know that? Because of what happens in verse number one of chapter four. He was very displeased and he was very angry that these people were repenting, and Jonah knew what this meant. He knew that God was not going to pour out his wrath. He knew that God was not going to destroy their city as he did the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He knew that God was going to show them mercy and grace. And this thing displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. I like the the descriptive words that are used, exceedingly and very. If you hear of something, somebody that's exceedingly angry, or exceedingly displeased and very angry, what do you think of? Rage, yeah. Somebody else? Hate? What's that? Yeah, a dangerous person. That's, as, as Jonah is describing, as we would think, I think most of us would think, as he was describing himself, He says he was exceedingly displeased and he was very angry because of what was taking place in the city of Nineveh. Now, as I said, this this should have been every, or I can say, I shouldn't say it should have been. This would be every preacher's dream today, to preach a message and see a whole crowd of people come to saving faith in Christ, to see people repent and get right with the Lord, to see people um, bow on their faces before a holy and just God. And, and what's very interesting here is, was Jonah's heart in the right place as he was preaching this message? What does that remind us? God is merciful, and God's word will not return void. It will do the thing that he sets it out to accomplish. 
What was Jonah's desire in preaching the word? That Nineveh was going to be destroyed. And God said, I have a different plan. I, I have a plan for these people because I love them. And so Jonah's anger proves that he was not in line with God. That Jonah's displeasure proves that he had a different plan than the, than the one that God was, was bringing to be as the people of Nineveh began to repent and turn to God. And I, I think it causes us to look at Jonah in a different way, but it should also cause us to look at ourselves in, in a, a way that is introspective. And I think sometimes we would do well to ask the question, when God is blessing in the life of another individual, have we ever been displeased and have we ever felt angry? When we see God prospering somebody and we think, man, that should be me, or why isn't that me? Why is their relationship like this? Why, why is their job giving them this promotion? From my perspective, why is their church flourishing? Do we take it as, as a good thing that God is doing, or do we harbor bitterness against God in that thing because he's not doing it for us? And so Jonah was so grieved over what God was doing in the hearts of the Ninevites that he describes himself as being displeased exceedingly and very angry. Any thoughts on verse 1? Annie. Yeah, I think that is a part of it. Yep, I, I do think it's a part of it. And I was going to bring that up later, Annie, but you stole my note. Um, you know, there was a part of Jonah that he preached a message, and what happened to a prophet if their message didn't come true? People wouldn't believe him. In the worst of scenarios, they would stone him. They would kill him. And so Jonah, I think, was fearful, but I think his greatest displeasure was not necessarily what he was going to face, but it was the simple fact that the Ninevites actually had an opportunity to repent because he hated them so greatly. But good thought. Anybody else? Thoughts on verse 1? All right, verse number 2. The Bible says, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. What did Jonah know about God? He was merciful. What else? There's a whole list of things. He was gracious, slow to anger, great kindness, that he repented of evil or changed his heart uh, in, in the decrees often that he set out when people did repent. Jonah said, God, I know this is true about you, and it really frustrates me right now. And all the while, what was Jonah forgetting? That he only had the chance to preach the message in Nineveh because God was gracious and merciful and slow to anger because he didn't act in a rash way and make foolish decisions in a quick manner. So Jonah did the right thing, right? He was displeased exceedingly, and he was very angry. And so he did the right thing by going to God in prayer. But let's just be honest, his attitude in prayer was probably not what it should have been. Jonah goes in saying, I told you so. I, I told you this was going to happen. Back when I was in my own country, you told me to go to Nineveh, and I didn't want to go because I knew that they would repent. I knew that you were gracious and, and, and slow to anger, that you were merciful and, and of great kindness. I did not want to go. And we should never go into prayer with an I told you so attitude. If you've tried that with your, uh, your spouse, you know that doesn't ever work out well in a, in a relationship, in a conversation. If it doesn't work out well there, it's probably not going to work out well with a conversation with God, right? Jonah was being presumptive in, in the way that he was speaking to God. 
Jonah said, I knew, I knew, I knew. And it wasn't, as we said last week, it wasn't necessarily that Jonah knew when he was back in his home country, but it was that he was fearful that this was going to become a reality. His, his, his dread was becoming true right before his very eyes as these people that he hated were turning and repenting from their evil ways and turning to the one true and righteous God. Again, God can handle this. Um, what I find interesting is that, that, that God never rebukes Jonah in a harsh way for the words that he says. He does question Jonah. He says, Jonah, do you, are, you, are you doing well? Are you in the right to be angry here? But he doesn't flat out rebuke Jonah in the way that we often would rebuke somebody when they came to us with that attitude. And so what does that show about God again? That he's gracious and merciful and slow to anger. He's a good God. He's a kind God. And Jonah knew that. He just didn't want that kindness to be experienced by the people that he didn't like in his life. We, we've talked a little bit about this idea of, of Jonah being nationalistic or prejudiced or racist. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who lives in Virginia still, and uh, the, the, they're selling their house, and I just reached out to them to see what, what they were doing, where they were going. And they just started to share with me how in their family, their, they, their family has become the black sheep of the family because of the decision of their daughter to date somebody of a different color. And there's like real racism that's taking place in this family. And I think sometimes we like to say, oh, those things don't exist. Friends, they do exist. They, they, they exist very much so, and they're, they're all around us. And as Christians... That should be the furthest thing from our heart and mind. The idea that, that one class of people is better than another class of people. But isn't that what's happening here? That Jonah is saying they shouldn't repent. They shouldn't have this opportunity because of who they are. It grieved my heart this week. But it was just another reminder to us that the world hasn't changed much over the years. That people's hearts that are hardened towards God, uh, we're still prone to the same sins. We're still prone to the same thoughts, and, and it truly is a sad reality. And so Jonah prayed to the Lord. He told God all these things that he knew about him, and God doesn't disagree. Why? Because God is all of these things. And instead of being angry with God, Jonah should have been thankful to God that he was all of these things, and so should we. Any thoughts on verse 2? Dave. <laughs> was, and he was willing to, God was willing to go to, to great lengths to make sure that this was going to happen. And it wasn't until that this repentance happened that we could get to this end point. Jonah is saying, you could have done this without me. Yeah. And God's saying, you were part of the plan. <laughs> I wanted to use you, right? That's a good thought. Anybody else? Dave. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Between the Israelites and the and the Muslims as a result of man's sin. But this just you know, that 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 same mindset is as you said still prevalent today. Yeah. You know, I mean look at the anti Semitism yeah. going on, you know, right around us in yeah. this country. For sure. Pro Palestinian. I'm not opposed to Palestinians, they all need to get saved. Right. <laughs> A lot of those Jews over there need to get saved too, right? <laughs> yeah. No, at times, the, the years tick by, but things don't change, right? Man's hearts are still far from God. And uh, anything that, that pits us against another person because of who we are versus who they are, we should automatically see that that's wrong. It, it's, it's setting ourselves up as we tear each other down. And God has never told us to do that. He doesn't say we're good because of who we are. He says we're fortunate, we're blessed because of who he has made us to be, because who he has allowed us to be in becoming his children. And that's, again, what, what people in Israel need to hear. It's what Jonah needed to remember, that he was only born in the, the nation that he was born in and chosen to be a prophet of God because God was gracious to him to begin with. Remember, um, why, why did God choose Abraham? Not because Abraham was special but because God chose a people to work through to make his name known in the world. It wasn't that Abraham was special. It was that God was going to work a plan, and he had to work that plan, or he desired to work that plan through somebody, and uh, he chose to do that through Abraham and through the nations. But good thought. Somebody else? Any other thoughts on verse 2? Annie? Hmm. Yeah. 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 No, that's very true. And, and uh, it's easy for us to criticize Jonah's prayer, right? Because it's inside or it's in the word of God for us to read. And it really would have been better for Jonah to say, God, I don't understand. I don't understand how you can be merciful, not just to the Ninevites. But how can you be merciful to me? That would have been a better, better way for him to go about it. But We've all had prayers like this, I'm sure, where our frustrations got the best of us. Anybody else? Verse 2. All right, verse 3. He says, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. When you hear that word beseech, what passage comes to your mind? Anybody? Romans 12, 1 and 2, for me, it's, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so Paul uses that language as he's begging the church at Rome to do what? To lay their lives on the altar to be a living sacrifice to God. Jonah uses that same language to say what? God, take my life. Not in a living sacrifice, but God, take my life from me. It is better for me at this point because of what has just happened. It is better for me to die than to live. Talk about an intense prayer. Um, Jonah's spirit, his, his heart, his mind... They were all over the place. He, he was not, in today's world, 
we would say Jonah is not in a, in a healthy emotional state, right? He, he needs some help. He needs some, some mental health days from being a prophet. Just take a week, Jonah, and go see somebody and figure this out because you're in a bad spot, really bad spot. For him to be this upset over what was happening in Nineveh that it caused him to come to the point to say, God, take my life because it's not worth me living anymore. And I think this does speak to some of what Annie brought up a few minutes ago, that as a prophet, if you go and prophesy, what is your hope? That prophecy is going to come true because you don't want to look like a fool. You don't want to be mocked and you don't want to be put to death. And yet Jonah is saying, and I still think it has more to do with what happened in Nineveh than, than what was going to happen to Jonah. I think he was still so grieved over this idea that the Ninevites repented that this caused him to, to go to his breaking point and say, God, it's better for me to die than to live. Take my life from me. I beseech you, O Lord. God who is in control, I beseech you, take my life from me because of what's going on in Nineveh. Any thoughts on verse 3? Heidi. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody else? Yes, Alicia. Yeah. No, I think Jonah's learning something, and it's a great lesson to learn, and it's, it's uh, a good reminder for us that God is in control of our lives. How many people have tried to commit suicide that did not die from their attempts? Many. Many, many, many. Now, we know a lot of people have died from suicide as well, and I'm not in any ways minimizing that, but God knows the beginning of our lives, and God knows the end of our lives, and he's in control of everything in between. The psalmist says, my times are in your hands. I'm, I'm recognizing, God, that you are in control. We, we believe that it's ordained when we are born, and we have comfort. One of the things that brings comfort in our lives when a believer passes is that God is in control even when somebody takes their, their dying breath. Um, and so as, as Jonah is praying this prayer, we see he's very upset, he's very grieved, and he asked God to take his life. And what's playing through his mind? Man, they threw me in the sea and I didn't die, right? I got swallowed by a fish and I didn't die. My, my life is not going at all how I thought it was going to go. And now these people are repenting. Just let me die. It was almost as if he was saying, God, just put me out of my misery, right? It's, it's been such a hard life. Just put me out of my misery. Dave. Hmm. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. How did I even get that far? Right. It's it's a good question to ask. Anybody else? Any thoughts on this first, Evan? Yeah. Because, I mean, when we saw, we saw, like, Jesus Christ and his sharing with the Samaritans and the Romans, he shared the gospel with everybody, and that drove the, you know, the Pharisees nuts. Yeah. Because they were lesser people. Yeah. You know, they didn't deserve it. He could have been fearing his own life to go back. Yeah. So that he was the one who brought the message to these people out there. Yeah. And no. And, and what a whale of a tale to tell him when he gets back, right? Guys, like, I tried. Like, I... I really tried not to go to Nineveh. God just wouldn't let me not go. And I preached hard, right? So they wouldn't want to repent. And yet they repented. Um, a good thought. Anybody else? All right, verse number four. And uh, this, I like the two times where God asks this question. He says, then, the Lord, then said the Lord, dost thou well to be angry? When God speaks, when the Lord speaks, um, we should listen. And this question is brilliant. As Heidi said, he doesn't address the things that, that Jonah was saying. He addresses the root of the issue. Jonah, you're angry right now. I want you to stop and think about this. How many of us have had a conversation with a kid, maybe not even your kid? You sat him down and said, are you, are you really angry right now? Are you really angry over this thing? Like, we're, we're doing all these fun things, and you're going to be angry right now? You just saw this city repent, and you're going to be angry right now? You just saw me do a great work, and you're going to be angry? Do, do, you well, do you do well, or is it right? Is this a righteous anger? David Guzik says, God likes to ask us questions because they reveal our hearts. It also puts us on a proper ground before God because he has every right to question, and we owe him answers. Think of the questions that we see in the Bible. Where are you? Who told you you were naked? What is this that you've done in Genesis 3, 9 through 13? Where is Abel, your brother? What have you done in Genesis 4? What have you done in 1 Samuel 13, 11? Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do evil in his sight? 2 Samuel 12, 9. Whom shall I send and who will go for us in Isaiah 6, 8? Who do you say that I am? Matthew 16, 15. What do you want me to do for you? Matthew 20, 32. Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Luke twenty two forty eight. 48. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? When God asks questions, he always has a point. When God asks questions, again, he's, he's not asking because he's unaware or uninformed. He's asking because he wants us to really think about the position of our heart, the, the place of our mind and the actions that we're performing, the words that we're saying. He wants us to think about how we have lifted ourselves up to play God rather than being humbled before the one true God. I wonder tonight, what do we find ourselves angry over and is it a righteous anger? What things in our lives are we angry over and is it a righteous anger? And if it is a righteous anger, is our, are our actions in that righteous anger righteous? We can have righteous anger. The Bible talks about a righteous anger. But how many people have, have started with a righteous anger and ended with unrighteous actions or unrighteous words? 
probably every one of us should raise our hands, right? And so Jonah was asked a question by God, do you do well to be angry? Any thoughts on verse 4? Any? Hmm. That's a good thought. Um, that's a really good thought. Thanks for sharing that, Annie. Dave. Isn't it God that only has righteous anger? I think we can have righteous anger if it's angry, if it's anger towards the things that make God angry. And what makes God angry? Sin. His wrath is poured out on sin. And so I think we can have a righteous anger, but we often only associate anger with actions. And truly, anger is, is not actions. Anger is hatred towards something with the desire to see it corrected. Often our actions of anger, they cause us to lash out in anger, right, towards somebody else. Um, God's anger, we know, was ultimately poured out on Christ. And so he does pour out his anger, but why did he do that? With a desire to see something corrected, to, to see something restored. And so I, I think we can have a righteous anger, um, I think we might say often that we have righteous anger, but it's probably not really righteous anger. We, it's probably a pet peeve, right? Or something that, that we can't understand or fathom, and so we say, I have a righteous anger towards that thing. Um, but, yeah, good question. Any other thoughts on verse number four? All right, verse number five. Continuing on. Says this, so Jonah went out of the city and he sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. Now, what did Jonah just say in his prayer? What did he say just before that? I knew what? Yeah? It's kind of funny, and I think it shows, in some ways, the unstableness of Jonah's mind, right? I knew these people were going to repent. I knew you weren't going to destroy their city, so I'm just going to go outside and sit and watch what happens to the city, right? Jonah, you're not speaking as anybody who's making any sense right now. Um, and, and obviously, this book is written after the fact, and I'm sure as he, as he is writing or relaying these words, there, there could be some reason why he interpreted him this way, but it's just funny as God has preserved it for us. Jonah's angry with God, says, I knew you were going to repent of your evil. I knew you'd be merciful. I knew you'd be slow to anger. But what does it also reveal to us? That Jonah still had hope. And what was his hope in? That God was going to destroy the city. It's like this mantra that's playing in his mind. I I know you're not going to but I really hope you will, right? I know that you, you are a gracious God who is merciful and slow to anger and so kind, but I'm going to go sit out there and see if my hopes and dreams and wishes come true in this moment. So he goes out to the east side of the city. He builds himself a little booth, whatever that was, not really sure. Uh, he sat under it in its shadow, and he was planning to sit there for a long time. Apparently, he wasn't very good at carpentry because we know God had to cause a gourd to grow up, right? And and uh, give him some shadow and shelter from the, the uh, sun and from the wind. 
But in verse number five, we see Jonah walks away. He's pouting. He makes the booth. He sits under it. He's hoping he was wrong, and he's waiting to see what would become of the city. In Jonah's wildest imagination, what do you think he was hoping for? Fire from heaven, right? Yeah. Um, alien invasion. I don't know. So, something to destroy these people. Take them out of here. Uh, any thoughts on verse number five? Evan. Just <laughs> yep. Yeah, I like that. We, my dad did a job a couple of years ago for a family who was Jewish, and um, they had a booth that they would put up certain times of the year, and they would go and, and sit in it and worship in it. Um, very interesting, and that's exactly what Evan was saying. And it's, it's, I think it, it also speaks in some ways that, again, that Jonah was not in a good place because he was choosing to want to sit there and see a city destroyed. Um, that's, that's pretty nasty, right? That's, that's a heart that is, in some ways, very far from God in that time. To, to know, I mean, it, it says in the end of the book that there was 120,000 people who couldn't discern their right hand from their left. That's not talking that the people were illiterate or didn't under, have an understanding of life. That 120,000, most people believe, would be children. And so there was probably 600,000 people living in that city, and Jonah's desire was what? Wipe them out, God. Take care of them. Do whatever you want to them. Just don't let them survive. Um, so again, it speaks to the nature of Jonah's heart towards these people as he's thinking about what God, what he desired for God to do. Any thoughts on verse number five? Caleb. Yeah, that's good. Alicia. Yeah, he, he was, 
Jonah, again, was only thinking of himself. He was only thinking of, of his desires. Uh, in some ways, as we've talked about, it was some sort of self-preservation for his own pride, even, that he wouldn't be labeled as a false prophet or that he wouldn't face ridicule um, from his, his home people. Uh, but he wasn't in a good place. Um, we'll move on to verse 6, and I guess next two weeks from now, we'll pick up in verse number 7. The Bible says, And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah so that it might shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad for the gourd. Can we just emphasize one more time that God is gracious? He's gracious. He was gracious in that he prepared a fish. He was gracious in that he prepared a storm. He was gracious in that he sent the gourd to cover Jonah. And why? So that it would shadow his head. Well, what does that matter? So, so he could be delivered from his grief. And Jonah was glad for the gourd. He, he failed probably to recognize who sent the gourd. He failed to recognize the one who cared for him in this moment, but he was thankful for the provision. But God was the one who was working here yet again in Jonah's life. And I think in some ways it speaks to the, to the prideful nature of Jonah that I deserve good things to happen to me, right? Whether we admit it or not, we often think that way. Our anticipation is always that the good will happen. We recognize that there's a chance for bad to happen, but we're hopeful for the good. And I think more often than not, we're hopeful for the, for the good in some way because we're good people, right? There's, there's no horrendous sinners in here that I know of right now that, you know, you're out doing who knows what all throughout the week, and then you come in on Sundays just to act like a good person. Now, what's the truth? We're all horrendous sinners. We all have times in life where we do whatever we want, but we still think in some ways that, that we deserve the good. And I think that's, again, Jonah's heart in, in the situation. He deserved the good, and the Ninevites didn't. He deserved the blessings, and the Ninevites didn't. He deserved God's preservation of his life by sending this gourd, but the Ninevites didn't. And it was a very self-focused, self-centered mentality that again was, was causing Jonah to rise up in his flesh and in his mind and in his heart while he continued to look down on everybody else that was around him. And so I think it's just, it's, it's amazing again how the Lord prepared this gourd to provide for Jonah, even though one more time we see that Jonah's heart was again far from God. Any thoughts on verse 6? I'm not going to verse 7, so we're just sitting here and stare at each other till the clock times out. Yes? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Highs and lows. Yep. Again, it, it does speak to his, his unstableness as an individual as he's facing these things um, and his wrong, wrong perspective. Judy. I'm just so grateful that even when we're not at our best, yeah. God is so good to yeah. us. Yeah, he is. You, you maybe have or haven't noticed it, but this past year especially, I've just 
tried to thank God for his kindness more and more? Because <laughs> it is so prevalent in our lives. And oftentimes it's hard to recognize it when we get self-focused. And God knows that we're self-focused. But if we look for his kindness, do you know what we'll see every time? His kindness. We'll see the way that he's poured it out on us over and over and over again, even when we don't deserve it. And truthfully, there's not a one of us who deserves to be sitting in this room tonight having a Bible study on the book of Jonah. But why can we? Because God is kind. Because he's gracious. Because he's merciful. Because he's slow to anger. And because he allows us to come into his family, even though we don't deserve it. So I think that's a good place to end on the week of Thanksgiving, thinking about the kindness of God towards us and the things that he's poured out on us. Now, does God's kindness mean that we're all going to get everything we want? No. Sometimes God's kindness is not giving us what we want because he has something better for us. And that's sometimes hard to grapple with. But he is a good God who gives good gifts, and we should be thankful for that kindness. Any thoughts as we close with a word of prayer? If you haven't signed up yet for Pie and Praise, you can do that on your way out. Uh, should be a fun night. Um, just really rejoicing in God's goodness and kindness in our lives. And I hope um, that if God lays something on your heart, you'll share it. Because when we speak praise to God, um, that encourages those around us. And you may think, well, my praise isn't that big of a deal compared to somebody else's praise. If God has done something good in your life, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Lift up the name of God. It's not about you. If somebody's praise is about them, then they're giving their praise with the wrong attitude. Our praise is to reflect the glory and goodness of God in our lives. And so I pray that we'll think through that as we approach Tuesday, as we approach Thursday, really, as we approach every day, that we have much to be thankful for, for the kindness and goodness of God. Whew, made it to 7 o'clock. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this evening. And I do pray tonight as we think through Again, the life of Jonah, God, that, that we would just see the parallels to our own lives, that we would see and understand um, the times that we are wayward children, the times that we get self-focused, the times that we get self-centered and, and so indulged in what we want, forgetting all the while, God, that, that you're the one who rules, you're the one who reigns, that you're the one who's had a plan long before the world was ever created, and you're the one who will see that plan carried out. God, I do pray this morning that, that we would desire, or this evening, that we would desire to, to walk in your ways. That as we think of the passage we looked at this morning, God, that we would carry the cross patiently. That, that we would endure with joy. That we would hold to the cross emphatically as we go into the world. Not preaching or sharing the good news of the gospel with who we think deserves it but that we would just share the gospel regardless of who the person is because we understand that, God, you can save them. Help us tonight to take an honest look at our hearts. And as we do, God, I pray that, that we would repent of the areas that we've gone wrong so that we can live in a way that would bring glory to your name. We thank you again. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.